so today it gives me great pleasure and honor to give to you our pastors and our overseers, Pastor Bill Kirk. Let's give it up for Pastor Bill Kirk as he comes, and let's honor him today. Man, we honor you, buddy. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Who was in heaven and who was not. And your pastor understands that um, there's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. Lost people matter to God and the only hope of our cities and the, really the world is uh, the local church and getting the gospel out. Our national office, we don't we don't play the plaque game, but we do this for gratitude. In fact, the amount is not even on here. But again, Valley Stream, a Bethlehem church here in Valley Stream, out of 350 plus churches across our network, led our network again this year in world missions giving. So we wanna thank you, our national office wants to thank you. And we're presenting this to you today because you care about missions. And if we're not a missionary, we send we send those who go, and so thank you from a thousand, a thousand, thousands of people probably you won't meet until you get to heaven, but thank you and uh, this great congregation for all you've done. So God bless you. Thank you. And this, and this plaque belongs to you guys because you guys have made it possible for us to be the number one giving church in all of New York. God bless you guys. I love your pastor, except... Two weeks ago when the Yankees were playing, he sent me a text and it said, go Yankees. <laughs> I texted him back and said, I'm from Baltimore, go Orioles. So he texted me back and said, the Orioles did go. They went golfing at the end of the regular season. <laughs> then I thought to myself, I'm not gonna talk to him anymore. <laughs> I want you to take your hand and put it over your heart this morning. Would you take one of your hands and place it over your heart? I want you to pray a simple prayer with me. Would you pray this? Pray this with me. This is, you don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to fold your hands. You don't have to bow your head. How many of you prayer is a conversation? And Jesus hears us when we pray. Just wanted you to pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart and change me for the better. Someone once said to me, if you can take criticism without resentment, if you can sleep without taking drugs, if you cannot blame other people for all of your problems, if you cannot bore people with all of your aches and pains, if you can have a good attitude after someone yells at you, if you can be happy with eating someone else's leftovers, or if you can eat the same food every day without complaint, you're probably the family dog. <laughs> but our animals are defined by instinct and human beings are defined by choices. When we make better choices, we live with fewer regrets. The devil never shows you that when you're tempted because temptation, in essence, is a lie. All temptation is a lie, promising you something it cannot deliver. So I have a question for you. How many of you are not perfect yet? You're still in process. Okay, gee, everybody up the front. Nobody's raising their hands in the back. All right, <laughs> well, there goes one. God's still working on you. You're in process. It's hard for some people to admit that they're in, pro in process and in progress. So let me make it easy for you. How many of you know the person sitting next to you 
is a real mess and they need a lot of help. The person sitting next to you. <laughs> sure, it's always easier. Last summer, I was minding my own business reading the Gospels. And I came across Mark chapter 6, verse 7, which simply says this, calling the 12 to him, Jesus, began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. And then there are four little words that grip my attention that say these were his instructions. When I saw that, I wondered to myself, what did he say, why did he say it, and who's he saying it to? And upon further discovery, I made the discovery that Mark 6, 7, and 8 are known as the training of the 12. Before Jesus sends them out to do life, Jesus calls them to himself. He wants to prepare them and equip them. So Jesus gathers the disciples to himself, and he would say or do 14 different things. And in my reading of the context, I discovered that four, the first four things he said were two-word statements. I noticed at the beginning of Mark chapter 6, the scripture says that his critics said, he's just a carpenter and he's just the son of Mary. He's just the son of Mary was not a compliment because it was contrary to Jewish custom to describe a man as the son of his mother. It was disrespectful. He's just the son of Mary. Then they said he's just a carpenter. In other words, he's just like any one of us. And they tried to discredit what he was saying. The Greek word for carpenter in the New Testament is the idea of a builder. Now, how many of you know God knows how to build your life? He knows how to take a rough log and make something beautiful out of it. I used to build birdhouses. It was a disaster. I bought all the tools. It was still a disaster. The birds wouldn't even go in them. It was a disaster. I had nails inside the birdhouse. It was hard. It was, if you were a bird, thank, never mind. It was just horrible. So Jesus is the carpenter. He's the son of Mary, they said. And Jesus knew something. He knew that human beings are great works of progress that mistakenly think sometimes they are finished. And so Jesus called the disciples and he begins to talk to them, and he says some things. And the four things that he said, I want us to look at this morning uh, for just a few moments. And there the are four two-word statements. If you have your bulletin, if you got one when you came, if not, uh, maybe someone there, they have, they'll bring them if you want to slip up your hand. I just want you to get at the truth of the text because today will be over what, in, in, in a little bit. Today will be over here. And as Pastor said, God has made it possible and probable and wants that you and I would walk this out and live this out when we go home. And out of the four things that Jesus said when he started this, the first thing he said was, take nothing. Would you say those two words with me? Take nothing. Take nothing. Look at verse 8. Take nothing for your journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belt. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. The first thing Jesus says to the disciples is take nothing for your journey. Now, why did Jesus say that? Any idea? Here's why. Because all of us are prone to worry about things down the road, what's down the road, what we will need, where we're going, what the future holds, where will I be in one year, three years, five years, where will I live, who will I marry, where will I work, how will I serve God? I can think, I can think back, Kid, do you ever think back when you were small and you couldn't wait to be a teenager? Did you ever think back when you were a teenager and you couldn't wait to drive? And did you ever think when you started driving your parents' car, you, you couldn't wait to buy your own car? And then you wonder what it would be like turning 21 and 
31 and 41 or 51 maybe or I went to, a, to the barber recently and the lady, she, she patted me on the head and she said, oh, River, you got a spot. I said, would you call me? She said, I ha you got a spot. A spot has, repeared, has, has, has appeared. And she, what she was telling me was baldness, bifocus, bridges, bulges, bursitis, and bunions. I'm going down quicker than the Baltimore Orioles. I understand all that, okay? I, and how, I'm old is, how old am I is none of your business. And so Jesus knew he was going to send these guys out to do something. But if they're going to be healthy from the inside out, they've got to know something. And so Jesus tells them, when you go out, don't take anything. Maybe he's warning them about the dangers of materialism or extravagance or self-display. But take nothing most of all was to remind us of this one thing. What is it? You can trust the Lord with the things and the people that are outside of your control. In other words, disciples, you and I today, you can depend upon God to provide what's needed at the time as you walk in obedience and do his will. Take nothing really literally means this. You can rest well and relinquish control over to God. In other words, you can worry, you can fret, you can stew in your own juice. Or in this service, on this beautiful day that God has given us, you can allow Jesus to give you a spirit of faith for everything that's on your mind. C.S. Lewis said, worry is not believing that God will get it right. I define worry as accepting responsibility that God never intended for you to carry. When Robbie and Bethany, my two kids, were, were teenagers, every now and then when they'd see me a little uptight, Robbie or Bethany would say, Dad, Dad, you need to chill. <laughs> Some of you need to chill. Write it down. Take nothing means I'm responsible to follow the Lord, and he's responsible to, to provide for my future. Take nothing means we have to let go of some things. Jesus said a bread, bag of clothes, more cash were things the disciples would hold on to or depend upon or trust in instead of Jesus. Jesus is teaching them and us to pack light, that we can depend upon the Lord. He's teaching us to let go of anything that slows us down in the journey. It's not about the money. It's about the trust. It's a heart issue. We can trust in ourselves, our works, our performance, our perfection, or we can depend on and trust in the Lord and what he's already done. When I was nine years old and woke up one morning and I couldn't walk and get out of bed and my joints were inflamed, high fever, they took me to three doctors. They, I ended up in Mercy Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. After 21 days and 52 needles, the, the doctor said, your, your heart is enlarged, your valve is leaking, you have rheumatic fever. The, the doctor said to my mom, I would not live till I was, uh, till I was 20, I would not live to be 20 years old without open-heart surgery. I'll never forget the night my grandmother, my Pentecostal grandmother, came from Leesburg, Virginia, into that hospital. She's five foot two, full of the Spirit. She walked into the hospital, and she looked at me, and she looked at my parents, and this is what my mother, grandmother said to her daughter, my mother. She said, Billy, my mom, Billy, you and Dale both have jobs. If you would like, I will take Bill Bill, and I will, he can live with us. We will raise him. My parents said, Mommy, would you really do that for us? 
I remember them carrying me out of the hospital, putting me in a wheelchair, carrying, taking me to Leesburg, Virginia. I sat in a wheelchair with a bed and a bell and a bedpan for two years. I never walked a step for two years. But every morning and every night, my little grandmother would get out of bed and she would walk in and she would put her hand on my little forehead and she would say, in the name of Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what she was doing when she was praying in the morning and praying, this is what she was doing. She was helping instill faith in me to believe God, that God can do what no one else can do. She was helping me to understand that God is working even when you cannot see him. How many of you know you're getting older even though you cannot see it? How many of you know your grass is growing even though you cannot see it? How many of you know from most of you your hair is growing even though you cannot see it? God is at work even though you cannot. I didn't understand all that, but my grandmother, my grandmother, God used her to put a spirit of faith inside my heart. I got out of the wheelchair at age 11, and from age 11 to age 19, my goal in life was to be like John Lennon of the Beatles. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you don't even know who the Beatles were. How sad is that? Uh, never mind. Let it be. Never mind. And one day I'm in Tampa, Florida. My grandmother's in Leesburg, Virginia, praying for me. And a converted alcoholic uncle comes up to me and gives me a gospel track and says, Bill, you need Jesus. I said, get out of my face. Don't talk to me. I'm not here for this. I'm here for sun, surf, and sand. Ten days later, flying home on an airplane, I opened that gospel track on an airplane and the Spirit of God came over me on an airplane. I was convicted of my sin and prayed a sinner's prayer, July of 1974. Walked off the airplane a born-again Christian by the grace of God, all by the grace of God. No preacher, no church, no church, no parents taking me to church, nothing. What, what am I saying? God wants to give you faith for your family and your job, your neighbors, wherever God's put you. When Jesus said to the disciples, Take nothing. He was trying to tell us something. You can believe God for the things outside of your control. The second thing Jesus said was this. Look at verse 10. Whenever you enter a house, stay there. Can you say the two words, stay there? How many of you have ever gone to a place and you didn't want to stay there? How many of you ever uh, got an invitation in the mail for, to something and you said to your spouse or some, uh, somebody, you said, do we really have to go there? You, just, you, knew you, you knew you weren't going to be there 10 minutes and you'd be going like this. It's like the guy when we were planning a church, our treasure. Treasure, he used to sleep in, during the service when we planted a church. And one Sunday, I just went over two minutes and he took his watch off and he started going like this. Now, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. I knew what that meant. He wanted to go. He didn't want to be there. Jesus said, wherever you go, to the disciples... Stay there. Now, why did Jesus say that? Stay there. Because the disciples would be tempted to move in with the host and then move out to seek better and more and better and easier and run from every inconvenience. They would be quick to offend their host by moving too quickly from place to place, to place to place, to place to place. They would move, they would offend their host by moving out too quickly and moving too quickly and moving too quickly. 
They would cause unbelievers to question their authenticity and commitment. They would reveal their pride and discontentment. Follow me now. They would abort what God wanted to do in their hearts. They would forfeit their potential that God was planning for them. They would feed their envy, nullify God's godliness and contentment that God is after. Because stay there means happiness is not a place. It's a state of mind. Happiness is not a place. It's a state of mind. Stay there means running from your problems doesn't solve your problems. Stay there means if I'm not content with what I have, I won't be content with what I want. Stay there means envy is the pain I feel when someone else has something that I want. Take nothing means Jesus wants to give you faith today. He wants you to relinquish what you can't control over to him today. But all the second point, stay there is to influence and grow our humility so that we can live content because we allow God to remove the lesser gods and the idols from our heart. If you're taking notes, stay there means my character and growth, growth, growth are more important to God than in my comfort and any feelings of entitlement. Stay there means what happens in you is more important than what happens to you. Stay there means wishing you were somewhere else will waste the season you are in. Stay there means God wants to protect our hearts from chasing the wind. Why is this so important? Here's why it's so important. Everybody on the earth worships something or someone. We get to choose what that is. And whatever we treasure or trust in more than Jesus is a God to us. Listen carefully. Martin Luther said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in is really your God. John Calvin said, the human heart is a factory of idols. Matt Papa said, the essence of idolatry is that we look to the world to give us something it was never designed to give us. I'm at the register, a guy at 4.30 in the morning in Richfield Springs, New York. I'll never forget his words. He's in front of me, and he's buying lottery tickets. There's like a hundred different kinds. He said, I want one of everything. I was in a hurry. I shouldn't have been. God was developing my patience. I understand. Don't preach to me. He said, I'll take one of these, and, one of the, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, if I could win the lottery, my life will forever be good. And to myself, I said, mm-mm. If you're not healthy before you win, you won't be healthy after you win. It's like people who come into my office, and, and they want to get married, and they're engaged, and, they, they're, looking at, and I, they're looking at each other like this, and they come in and see me, and I go, why do you want to get married? And he or she was, oh, because they're so wonderful, and they are perfect. <laughs> And about 30 minutes in, I have to, I have to reveal to them that a, a marriage was never intended to make an unhealthy person healthy. It never will. Marriage was never intended by God to do it. Marriage simply intensifies the state it already finds you in. Because you're not healthy before you get married. You'll probably marry someone else who's not healthy. You put two unhealthy people together. Ay, 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 ay. Paul David Tripp said, if there's something you think you cannot live without, it's become an idol and a God to you. And every idol says, you will die trying to have me. But Jesus is the one master that says, I will die to have you. Heaven isn't for people who are afraid of going to hell. Heaven is for people who love Jesus more than every lesser thing in life. 
And an idol is anything that captures and controls the attention of your mind and the affections of your heart. You stop at the grocery store on your way home today. Look at the, look at the candy. I like the candy rack on the right. Thank God for Hershey bars. And on the left, you'll see a rack that's got nine magazines. And what's it say on the front of each magazine? The 10 most beautiful people in America are. The 10 richest people in America are. The 10 most successful people in America are. The 10 smartest people in America are. And without the gospel, it can make you feel cheated, undervalued, inferior. Well, how's this translate into daily life? Here it is. Here, these are functional saviors. You see them everywhere you go. People even go to church today by the millions. If comfort is your God, you'll complain yourself to death. Everybody believes that God is sovereign until they get stuck on the Belt Parkway at 4 o'clock. <laughs> if appearance is your God, you'll starve yourself to death. If success is your God, you'll work yourself to death. There was a gal, an American Idol. She was 21 years old. I saw it myself three years ago. She said, uh, they interviewed her. And she was going to go out. She, the guy says, what, what's it like to sing to uh, uh, 16 or 18 million people tonight? This is what I'll quote you what she said. She said, if I don't win this contest, my life is over. I thought, you're only 21. How can life be over? If control is your God, you'll worry yourself to death. If approval is your God... You'll compromise yourself to death to please people. If impressing people is your God, you'll talk yourself to death. If money is our God, we'll 401k, we'll hoard ourselves and we'll be, a, we'll be takers instead of givers. Here's my discovery. Takers may eat better, but givers will sleep better. If image is my God, I'll promote myself to death. If health is your God, You'll exercise yourself to death. Two years ago, my son came home and he says, Dad, you need to get out of the house. I said, I'm okay. He said, no, Dad, since Mom died, you, you need to get out. I said, I'm okay. <laughs> he said, Dad, you need to get out of the house. I said, Robbie, I bought this house. I live here. It's my house. A couple weeks later, two weeks before Christmas, he comes home and he goes, Dad, I got your Christmas present. I said, what is it? This is on the kitchen counter in the envelope. It's in the envelope. Let me have it. He brought it over. I opened it up. It was a one-year membership to the Cicero family, local, our local gym. I said, Robbie, I don't do gym. <laughs> oh, you're doing now. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting you out. You're getting out. You're getting out. So you know what he did? I wasn't going to go. You know what he did? He guilted me. He bought me a bag to carry stuff. Gave me one of his old jogging suits. Got me a pair of MJ, imitation MJ shoes. <laughs> Basketball pump, you see the suit, the bag. You know where we went? We went to the gym. It was horrible. <laughs> I got on the treadmill, I started slow. 62 years old, the guy next to me is 22. He got on, he was smiling at me, looking at me. He was competing and comparing, I could tell. Oh, I said, I can keep up with you, boy. I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> Every now and then, just to keep him honest, I went, ah! just to keep, keep him on check, to make him look at me and slow down. And uh, it was a horrible experience. Smelly, stinking. Oh, I heard this grunting noise. I'd never heard, I didn't know that chicks could pump iron. 
and there was a set of weights, and the girls were over here. And they were, I didn't know that women could actually pump iron. Women were lifting weights. I mean, St. Louis, women were, women were pumping iron. It was embarrassing to me because they had more. Anyway, it was horrible. And I saw guys walking around going like this. What's that? What's it mean when you do that? I don't know. You know what that means? I don't know. Grown men going like this. I saw grown men going like this. I saw grown men like, you know. And then I noticed there were mirrors on the wall all the way around the fitness center. You know, I was in the rain this morning uh, about 7 o'clock, before 7, uh, down here, a couple blocks from here at, uh, near McDonald's, just, and there was a fitness center. It's called Blink. That's just what I do when I go by. I blink. That's all I do. It's called blink. And there was one guy in there this morning. One guy. Where were all of you when you could have been in there happy? One guy was in there. One guy this morning and blinked. On the treadmill all by himself. You know what? I've never seen a happy jogger. Never. So I, 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 went, I did what the guys were doing at the gym. It's my, my second visit. I went over to the mirror. Went like that a couple times, nothing happened. Took my, took my jacket off, put it back on, that was embarrassing. I'm all for exercise. Anything can be a God to you. A guy comes up to me and he says, how many sit-ups can you do? Oh, I go, I don't do ups, I do downs. Yeah, sit down, lay down. Uh, take me to Dunkin' Donuts, I can chow down. Give me two French crawlers and an eclair. Oh, I'll whoop it down. Yo, I don't do ups, I do downs. I told him, I said, you know, ups defy gravity. And gravity is a law. I obey the law. I don't do ups. I don't do sit-ups. It was horrible. I, I listened, I just, I, long story short, I went three times. Third time, I packed everything in my bag and went out and got ice cream at the ice cream store where I live. I never went back. What am I saying? Anything can be a God to you. If stuff is your God, you'll collect yourself to death. If being right is your God, you'll defend yourself to death. If pleasure is your God, you'll spend yourself to death. If food is our God, we'll eat ourselves to death. And if self is our God, we'll worship ourselves, we'll pamper and we'll promote and we'll pity, we'll wear the t-shirt, it's all about me. But if Jesus is first place and his joy is higher than every other joy, then we live free. Why? Because then Jesus has become more beautiful than just useful. You meet people everywhere in churches. They serve a useful Jesus. They pray the Jimmy prayers. Hello, hurry up. Hey, God, my name is Jimmy. Hurry up, I'll take what you give me. They're Jimmy prayers. If your name is Jimmy, I apologize. No offense to you. The, the Jimmy prayers. You know, the Jimmy prayers. I, I don't want to serve a useful Jesus. I want to serve a beautiful Jesus. How about you? Every season, he is good. Oh, wait a minute. It's raining today. Let's pull up to Walmart. If there's a parking spot that's open, three doors in, close to the Walmart, oh, praise God, God is good. I have news for you. If there's no parking spot and you've got to walk a 25 extra feet, poor you. God is still good, always been good, always is good, always will be good whether you like it or not. Why? Because he's beautiful. He's provided everything we need. For life and godliness. He's a beautiful Jesus. 
Many people come to Jesus and they want to know what are the minimal requirements to get to heaven. Now, if you're going to, pro if you're going to propose in marriage, here's not how to do it. Honey, what are the minimal requirements for me to stay married to you? That's not a good premise to build a relationship on. How many of you believe God is enough to make you content? He is enough. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, he is enough. He is enough. Oh, yeah, but if only, if only, no, he is enough. If only I had that car, oh, no. If only I had that job, no. If only I could be like Pastor Steve and have that T-shirt, it's a boy. No, if only, if only the Yankees would win the world. No, 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 if only, if only. I hear that all the time, if only I had more. If only I lived in the country, if only I lived in the city. If only I had a bigger house, if only I had a smaller house. If only my kids were closer, if only my kids were further. I hear it all the time, if only, if only my teeth were whiter. I had a pastor come up to me before a service in New York City and gave me, he said, I got the greatest thing for you, Bill. This is what you need. And he offered me a package of Crest White Strips. <laughs> I'm not worried about my teeth turning white. I'm worried about my teeth turning loose. I'm losing them. Are you kidding me? Okay, I'm not going to smile. Now my picture is not going to be on a magazine. I'm okay with that. Contentment is a wonderful thing. Third thing Jesus said was shake off in verse 11. Shake it off. Taylor Swift wrote a song. Some of you know it. Because the player's going to play, 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 play. I guess I know it too. And the hater's going to hate, 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 hate. Baby, I'm just going to shake, 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 and shake it off, and shake it off. My mother used to shake off the rugs where I lived in Baltimore, Maryland, shake off the rug on the back porch. My dad used to take the mats out of the truck. And you know what he would do on the driveway? He would shake it off. Since I was with you last time, I went to Ghana, West Africa, in the crowd, the capital city. I was the midweek speaker. Oh, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. Packed house, and I was going to preach on the next level of prayer. And they put my name up. They put my name up. Uh, they put my name up on the big screen. It said, Reverend Bill Kirk, USA, New York District Ministry Network, uh, the ASS. They forgot to put the T in the period on the end of assistant. And I thought it was very safe coming back home. But one of our team members took a picture of it with their cell phone. And uh, some other people have found out about it. So now I'm known as the ASS. Can you tell I'm still trying to get over it? I'll get over it. Tell me, I'll get over it. I'll get over it. Jesus, what did Jesus say, guys? When you go out and do life, you're going to have to learn to what? Shake it off if your audience doesn't receive you or your message can, uh, you can leave and shake off the dust from your feet, Jesus said. In Jesus' day, if Jewish people had to go through a Gentile city as they left, they would shake the dust off their feet. Why would they do that? It was a gesture. This is what it meant. We don't want to carry anything from this Gentile city with us down the road for our, in our future. So Jesus was telling them, put it in the canon of Scripture, 66 books of the Bible, 1,189 chapters, 31,173 Scriptures, 773,000 words written by 40 different people in three different languages on three different continents over a 1,500 year period. Out of all of that, Jesus put this little text because he knew you'd be here today because Jesus wants to tell us something. Everybody in life gets offended. 
He was telling us, where you've been is not where you're headed. That was then and this is now. Quit looking over your shoulder because that's not where you're going. You don't have to drag your past into your future. Everybody here today at Bethlehem at some time will have something to shake off in the journey. Everybody, no one is exempt. And so why did Jesus quote Taylor Swift? No, it's not so that we would be discourteous, rejected, and be afraid of being wounded. Jesus said, shake it off to teach us something. What is he teaching us to have a healthy soul? He's teaching us to have a spirit of forgiveness. We won't personalize rejection. We won't live with offense. We won't blame other people for what's inside of us. We'll keep on going and not get detoured and distracted. We'll keep making progress. We'll not carry baggage from place to place to place to place. It's okay to be injured, but it's not okay to live injured. That's what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching us that unforgiveness is the poison we drink while we wait for the other person to die. He's teaching us if there's someone we have not forgiven, they own us. He's teaching us resentment is allowing someone you despise to live rent-free in the house of your mind. He's teaching us if you're in pursuit of vengeance, be sure to dig two graves. He's teaching us ships don't sink because of the water on the outside of the ship. They sink by what gets, on, gets in on the inside. He's teaching us this. It's okay to be injured, but you don't have to live that way. Here's my discovery. If you don't get healed from those who have hurt you, you will bleed all over those who never hurt you. Here's my discovery. Failure to forgive the hurts of your past will punish the innocent in your future. Remember, we are not a product of our circumstances. We are a product of our decisions. Shake off means, if you're writing down, Whatever I refuse to forgive and let go of will destroy me inwardly and defile many outwardly. Will destroy. Say it with me. Shake it off. And the last thing Jesus said, after he tells the story of John the Baptist in Mark chapter 6, he picks up the narrative again around verse 30. And the first two words he tells, he says in verse 31, he says to the disciples, come apart into a desert place a solitary place and get some rest. They've just returned from their mission. They, re they report what they have done, what they have taught. And Jesus teaches us how ministry demands are taxing on human energy. I saw a few people when I come in on, came in this morning, the early service, I saw a few people yawning. They weren't yawning on their way out, they were yawning on their way in. Do you know why? the human body gets tired and all of us have had those nights where we just couldn't sleep that well and Jesus knew that the human body needs rest so he teaches them to rest but you know there's more to the story because the same account as this is also recorded in Luke chapter 10 verse 20 the sent out disciples come back and what do they do it was WWE MMA Smackdown baby oh it was it was it was a monstrous report what did they say? They said, Jesus, we just got back. Guess what happened? We took care of diseases, we took care of demons, and we took care of devils. 
And what does Jesus say? Follow me. He says, wait a minute. Just wait. He says, don't get caught up with all of your successes. Don't be enamored with how busy you are. Don't be looking for validation by how many likes you get on Facebook. Because it's not about your resume, what you do. It's not about your references, who you know. It's not about your resources, what you own. That's not your deepest sense of joy. Rather, rejoice or let this be your greatest source of joy. What is it? Not what you have done for God, but what God has done for you. Rather this. Rather this. Rejoice in this, friends. Here it is. That your name is what? Written in the book of life because of what God has done for you. Here's, here, this brings real rest to my spirit. In other words, your deeper sense of joy is not your work on God's behalf, but it's God's work on your behalf. Did you get that? It's called the gospel. So when Jesus tells them to come apart, he's trying to tell us our greatest source of joy, number four, is not my work on God's behalf, but his work on my behalf. So what is the gospel? And I'm finished. Here's the gospel. It's not good advice. Advice is something you're recommending to be done. The gospel is good news. Can you say good news? Yes. News is a report of something that's already been done. The gospel message is simple. We're sinful beyond belief, yet we're loved beyond measure. We're so sinful that Jesus had to die for us, yet we're so loved he was glad to die for us. No one is so good they don't need the grace of God, and no one is so bad they can't receive the grace of God. We don't get into the kingdom by proving how good we are. We get in by admitting how flawed we are. Did everybody get that? I don't want to hear how good you've been. I don't want to hear how many tracks you passed out this year. Oh, I passed out 23,000 last year. Bless God, I'm going to do 24 next year. And oh, bless God, the year after, I'm going to pass out 25. Oh, if you could only see God where I'm going. Hey, listen, chill. We, we need to stop and realize God gives rest to the heart when we trust in his work and not our work. Are you ready for that? It's not advice. It's news. Good news allows you to take nothing and trust him for all of your tomorrows. Good news allows you to stay there and humble yourself and let God give you a spirit of contentment. The gospel, the good news allows you to shake off so that other people's poor decisions do not determine your behavior. A spirit of forgiveness. And come apart means daily. Your greatest source of joy is not your work on his behalf, while that's important. But our greatest source of joy is God's work. You know, God loved me when I was bad. <laughs> God loved you when you were bad. My last non-Christian concert. Me, America on stage. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young with America. My long, beautiful, blonde hair, prettier than Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton, and Jessica Simpson all put together. It was beautiful. It was, trust me, it was beautiful. I may not have muscles, but I have long, beautiful, curly hair. Poured peroxide on it and bleached it till it was white. Bopping across the stage. Been to the desert.
I started on a horse with no, poor horse didn't even have a name. No wonder I was depressed. But then I found Jesus. And he is enough. He's just enough. Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer as our keyboardist comes back? Take nothing. Stay there. Shake off and come apart. You never have to compete. You never have to compare. You're good enough. It's the lie of the devil that you're not good enough. It's only Jesus makes us good enough. Wherever God finds you in the journey. Jesus alone is the answer for a worried mind. You can rest and trust him today. Stay there. Jesus alone satisfies our hearts, which brings us contentment in the journey. Shake it off. Jesus alone can forgive us and give us grace to forgive other people. Come apart means Jesus alone and his work on your, your behalf is your greatest source of joy. Your greatest source of joy today is knowing your name is written in the book of life. Wherever God finds you in the journey, he wants to change what needs to be changed inside your heart. I'm well aware that salvation is not a paycheck for being good, but there are certain behaviors that are indicators that lesser gods and idols and misplaced affections need changing. And that's what God does by the Word and by the Holy Spirit. That's why He's here today, to bring change where change is needed. So maybe you're spiritually dry because your prayer life and your word life has been sporadic. Maybe you're anxious and hurried because of misplaced priorities, no margin. Maybe you're angry at someone because they hurt you. Maybe you're bitter because there's someone you need to forgive. Maybe you're allowing some substance to destroy your brain cells or steal oxygen out of your bloodstream, any substance whatsoever. Maybe you're allowing pornography to pollute your thought life when all temptation in essence is a lie. It's a distraction. Maybe you're giving evil reports about other people. Maybe you're addicted to something that's made you a slave to it. Maybe you're unwilling to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. Are you more concerned about what people think, your image, than what God thinks your condition? Was there ever a time in your life when you were closer to the Lord than you were today? Are you willing to take a step now so that God can bring change where change is needed? I have good news for you today. Jesus will change what needs to be changed in your heart if you'll give him permission. So if you're here and you're willing to give God permission to bring change where change is needed, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Hold it up until I can see it. Hold it up to the Lord, though, not to me, but to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am in the balcony. I can see it. In the section to my left, I see these hands and these hands, these hands here, and on the section to the right. God, I give you permission today at Bethlehem Church, this location, 12 East Fairview, God, I give you permission to go deeper into my heart. Help me not lose the moment, I pray, God. Go deeper. Be a sword. Pierce and heal what needs to be healed in every heart that's here today. I trust you for it, Jesus. I trust you for it. Can we all stand together today? Just before Pastor Steve comes to close in prayer. I want to pray with you before you leave, and the only way I know how to do this is this. I'm going to ask every one of you to be transparent before God. I want you, if you slipped up your hand, I want you to step out of your seat. Would you do that? I want you to come and just meet me at an altar, a 
Bethlehem Church is a safe place. You don't have to be afraid. Your family will wait for you. Your friends will wait for you. Just come and step out and, and just, just come into the front as close as you can. And just, 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 we'll make room for you. Just come. Every one of you that slipped up your hand, just come. Just come. Every one of you that slipped up your hand, say, God, I, God, I, God, I want what you intended. That's what we're coming for. This is what Jesus intended when he wrote, when he gave the scripture. This is what he wants. He's made it possible for you to be healthy and whole from the inside out. And the lesser gods can not dominate your thinking. By the grace of God. Let's all pray this together, I like. When you pray this together in the balcony and on the floor here, especially you at the altar, let's, let's pray this together. Let's come transparent before God, and let's pray this together out loud. Everybody, all of us together, let's pray this out loud. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your word to my heart. And today, Jesus, I give you permission to bring change where change is needed. Today, Jesus, I say yes to the will of God for my life. I pray for grace as I humble myself to overcome everything. That's not your will for my future. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer, for answering my prayer, and changing me today by the grace of God.